1: Kind of, so there, here, that's how we'll start off. You know, one of the one of the real things that I think is funny about the world is, like, dichotomous thinking, black and white thinking, when does that work? Like, ever. Doesn't it seem like the world is always about incrementalism and things along a spectrum? And you don't really get, I mean, there's, a, there's a desire for some of us to have a big yes-no answer. And yet, what I always <laughs> see, without playing devil's advocate... Is, is like, there's always complications, there's always extenuating yeah. circumstances, there's always, and, and that ability to handle, I, I just read a little article about this, that the ability to handle ambiguity is like in the middle with, I don't know, regular people. And at each end of the political spectrum are the people that want to just say, no, it's this way and no other. And And there's always a certain amount of ridiculousness and not only political, it's about virtually anything. You know, when you get people that like, here's the way to eat a hot dog, it is ketchup. Yes or no. And there's no like, well, it should depend on your own personal taste. No, your taste is wrong. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so, and even.
0: (laughs) That's funny you say that too, because I was just listening to a podcast this morning where they kind of laugh. There's was a couple authors and they're like talking about their reviews and how often mm. people give a review and say, "Oh, this book sucks." Um, you know, why would I want to read anything about magic with a love affair and have vampires in it? And okay, the book didn't suck. It was just your <laughs> style. So it's either the book sucks or I like it. You know, there's no in between.
1: Exactly. I mean, it's, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of body of knowledge about this that, you know, part of the way you try to build in um, people's ability to express themselves precisely is you don't give it yes or no. You give it like what's on a scale of zero to 10, you know, one to 10 or one to five or whatever else it might be. But what they find is people immediately have an emotionality to it or a radicalization to it, if that's the right word, where it's ones and fives. People don't spend time thinking, is it two, three, four? They love it or they hate it. They totally agree or disagree. And there's like when they have um ranked voting and they're, they're talking about this for elections now that instead of having um, vote for only uh, a candidate that instead you might want to say well here's five candidates put them in the order in which you would like and then when they do that you'll find out that the chosen candidate is not Necessarily the one that has the most fanatic support, but the one that has the best combination of, I yeah. really like this guy, but yeah, he'd be okay too. And I really hate this guy, so I'll give him a five, but I don't know the veto him. And so it really does tend to give you, if you will, better results for the electorate saying everybody can live with this guy instead of saying he wasn't my guy. And so I'm in opposition for the next two, four years. You know, yeah. It's, it's, but having said that, In Australia, if I remember right, this was a long time ago that I read this, and I'm not sure how much it still pertains. They had that system in place for a long time, and they found out that there was a whole bunch of donkey ballots. That statistically, aberrantly large was the number of people, just no matter what order their names were in, one, two, three, four, five. So (laughs) then it became a real advantage to have your name be Alan instead of Zeke, because, hey, Alan will appear first. And do, do you know what I mean? So there was actually court cases being fought over like how people would get put on the ballot because of whatever that extra little push of donkey ballots. So I wonder
0: if a case like that, if there's some way to use all this new 5g and AI and all of that to, you know, do something with that, that it it takes all those votes out of the thing. And like, when you do that one, two, three, four, five, it says, are you sure? Do you really want to do this? Because we're, we're moving your, your vote out till we count it, and then you know. I, I just wonder if there's Interesting.
1: some. Tech yeah, some kind of Olympic judging where you throw out the top and the bottom, so that you right. don't you get rid of the most aberrant. And actually, what I've heard is you know one of the things you can do with online ballots instead of printed ballots is you randomize the order. Everybody, when they go online, sees things in a random order, and they really have to like seek out their candidates and know how they're voting, and then it just gets rid of that. Uh, you know, kind of default fool that goes one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, one, two, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So there, there are ways, like you're saying, to programmatically or statistically uh, account for the automatic skew that comes from just order or right. something like that. And, and they've even had it where people had to have, um, again, I guess, court cases, that's where you hear this decided, that if someone is known by a nickname, but their real name is something different, well, they have to fight to, like, not, you know, some of the ones that are obvious, like, um, Ted Cruz is not Ted, I think it's Ernesto. And yet, if you have not only Cruz, but a very obvious Latin element to it, there's some people that will definitely vote for that. And there's some people that will vote against it, because isn't Ted Cruz the guy that keeps saying we got to stop immigration, but he's if, if oops an immigrant himself, and and just all kinds of things that it's Joe, not Joseph. Is Joe more uh, familiar? Kind of, I can sit down and have a yeah. beer with Joe, whereas Joseph is the more formal version, the putting on airs version. And it's it's. I know this is weird to have to talk about it as if it's all real, but actually you economics goes into a whole big chapter about how names are destiny. You know what I mean? That you can see people that have standard. Um, like, I don't know, Christian Bible names, if you will, they kind of seem to have no perturbation as to how people view them. Whereas the minute you get into a name that sounds too modern or too ethnic or too um uh, judgment, you know what I mean? People have an automatic judgment yeah. about uh you know, I don't know, and, and also odd spellings that if you spell it Kathy with a Y or an I or a K or a C, that there's a statistical showing of People really don't like the C A T H I version because they think it's—I don't even know—whatever connotation. It's a—it's <laughs> a new one. It's a hippie. It's oh no—they—they they probably put a little dandelion head over their eye. You know what I mean? That <laughs> right. and, and free comics was the reason I love those books is because they really don't just kind of riff on it like you and I are doing. They do the statistical work so that says you. here's what we discovered about why this really is. When they're asked why they do it, there really is like prejudice or just enough bias involved in some of these things that it really can matter and statistically matter. But that is uh, not 1% or 2% in a rounding error, but like 20%. And that's right. enough to sway an election. That's enough right. to get you the job or not. Well, you know, I, I mean, so. I, I,
0: what, what you're saying is absolutely true. It's all the psychology. That's the same yeah. thing we've talked about before with like marketing. You know, they know sure. if this is uh little Italy in Cleveland, I'm going to advertise differently than if I am advertising to this Jewish community or uh, a mostly Pacific Islander community, whatever, because there's still that, and they know this psychology. Um, and I was going to mention going back to the whole black black and white thinking. Yeah. I think that's interesting you say that because this is my personal observations, uh, and Gina has seen it. But like with Adam and quite possibly quite a few autistic people it is the black and white thinking it is very difficult for them to see the gray it's, it's thank you one for saying
1: other. that yes they just that the more that we learn about uh uh different mentalities different modes of thinking that it isn't um right or wrong and that you can choose to be so you can try to if you have the flexibility think of is there nuance here but but there is a section of our population that they it isn't a choice. That's just how they say is, you know, it's one right. or the other. It's, so, and, but then I guess it's then a question of how do you design systems? How do you design questions? Whatever yeah. else, how, how they interact so that it doesn't lead to ambiguity, leads to anxiety or to, I force a false choice, but that it really is, can you do a series of incremental choices, kind of like a Socratic dialogue, where they say a series of small yeses that leads to a big yes, that they might not have said immediate yes to, if they didn't have the little building blocks that kind of prepped their mind to see things differently. So not in a manipulative way in an open exactly a series of small yeses. Exactly. Um, So, I, I also, Kelly and I have talked about this and maybe you and Gina have. I have uh, friends that they, how, kind of how they want to run their life is, um, I don't want to be thinking about all these things all the time. I want to say one big yes. And then once I've said that, a whole bunch of other smaller things kind of fall in line. So when you join the military, you're like, okay, I'm in your hands. You're going to make me into the kind of man that, you know, you need for a good troop and that it's, uh, you by making that big decision, you don't really have choice as to where you're going to live, what you're going to eat, what you're going to dress. To a lot of people, that's its own stressful thing. You know, right. Or you take a certain job and it's like, okay, now what I do for a living is this thing, and I'm not going to keep thinking of what could I have done otherwise. I'm going to you know, develop myself, envelop myself in this thing. And so, and I get that. There's a lot of, Malcolm Gladwell had a great book about the power of focus, about the way you're going to become an expert, is you need to spend 10,000 hours... Maybe it was even 20. I'm sorry, but that's such a thing to not have for certain in my head. I think it's 10,000. Yeah, 10,000. Yeah. Yeah. You have to dedicate yourself, you know, that you, you don't have to come out of the womb an expert, but you can develop expertise by living it, by being in that place. And, and so I don't know. Maybe that's one of the interesting things for a polymath is that you, I don't think I've ever said a big yes. Maybe about my marriage. You know what I mean? When I, when I married Colleen is like, I'm in. True Blue, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And there really is a security to saying, I don't care about any any other choices. I don't care about anybody else is pretty or anybody else, whatever. It's very nice to say, you know, nope, got the ring. Actually, it's kind of funny. I point at the ring I don't currently have on because I'm doing (laughs) the podcast. (laughs) So, but, but but it's, there is a security in that. And I guess I, whenever I've been confronted with a big yes, what I always try to ask is, So do I really trust the person I'm saying this big yes to? To me, it's never been a a, a company or the government or the military. It's not like an organization. There might be creeds that propose a certain thing, but then I'm always aware of, you know, there's all kinds of people that once you say the big yes, they immediately start trying to take advantage of you. And I really mean that. I I really think that there's all kinds of charlatans in all kinds of places (laughs) that go to the place where there's been a big yes, and then they
0: kind of abuse their power. How so did you know have we really, were starting to look at another car?
1: Real, <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, you know, I, I kind of like the inoculation. You know, I often we have a memetics talk that it's important to have when meme, memes pop up. I just posted about this. There's certain phrases now that they that see it's called the uh, the thought terminating cliche. That there's a whole bunch in our vocabulary now where people say, "Well, it is what it is," and it can be useful to say, um, what does that mean? I don't care enough about it to talk about it. Um, It's just, it is just an acceptance of reality, if you will. But there's all kinds of people that say that where the discussion is still going, it, that there's like nuance to be developed and viewpoints to be presented and that they present it as let's move on. And that, and And this just kind of funny, straight out of my days at Progressive, can't tell you that was a pet phrase that I had learned here compared to where I had worked elsewhere. Like, uh, let's take this offline. And it's like, well, actually, no, we have the six people in the room that all have a stake in this. And I don't want it to be you and me have a discussion. I want everybody here to have their say. But then when you would say that, they would really get pissed about how it was right. a little bit of a power play that I don't want to stick people in on the decision. I want to make the decision. I want to persuade you about it. And and sometimes when people attempt that thought-terminating cliché, it's it really is when you say, no, I'm not done, that they're not looking to have more discussion. They're really angry about the fact that you didn't fall for it. You didn't cede right. to them. You know what I mean? You didn't have the <laughs> black and white thinking that agreed with them. <laughs> I guess. Uh, you know, in... I don't know, it, I love talking about how people think because there sure is a lot in evidence nowadays that people, like you said about marketing, people sure have learned about manipulation, that it's not even a subliminal seduction anymore, like those books from the 70s and 80s, that now it's constant, right? Every bit of advertising, every bit of political sloganeering, it isn't meant necessarily to be like consumer reports will say, here's the factors that we're going to judge something on, and then we tested them, and then here's the winner. They do everything they can to short-circuit that thoughtful, rational approach that they want to appeal to your emotions. They want to make you angry or afraid or whatever, or through humor. You know what I mean? If you right. like me, you'll agree with me. And, right. and so yeah, well, it's weird to see that manipulation be so constant, but maybe that's well, just humanity.
0: <laughs> we talked about the uh, Marvel trailer a couple weeks ago. They didn't yes. tell you uh, how many locations they filmed. They didn't tell you the costumes they put in. They didn't tell you, you know, how many people are doing the special effects. They got you to watch Captain America with the shield right. say Avengers Assemble and the crowd cheering. It was pure emotion. I mean, again, that's psychology.
1: Right, right. And and, and, and so then often what we we'll again, you know, if kind of like what do geeks do that are different than usual people? They do have an interest in not only how it was made, but um, <laughs> I don't trust emotion. You know what I mean? Like right. that's well, that's a sweeping statement. Of course, I have emotions. I get a sense of joy and love and wonder and everything like other things. But I'm I'm very aware of. Well, that's false emotion. They really did try to manipulate me there. And and so I, then I have like a oh, don't meet me meet me somewhere where you're talking and thinking and feeling and and that there's a combination of those things instead of you really not only tried emotion you tried emotion at the expense of rationality and my geek self says well give me a few facts (laughs) give me one or two bits of information instead of just being yeah get him which which
0: they did because they listed in order when things were coming out you know i mean
1: that's That's, yes
0: i (laughs) I, i and colin can say okay well this comes first on this date and this comes after this and then this is the show's here and and gina's like wow those look really good i can't wait you know, so it's you know, totally yeah. Yeah.
1: Thank you for that. You're right. They they did present a balance. You know what I mean? It's it, yes. Okay. <laughs> so something
0: else with the psychology and uh, work working that uh, in the author realm. There's a lot of authors that use pen names that psychologically will influence you. A lot of romance writers. They don't necessarily want people to know who they really are. Or they might have 10 different pen names that they're writing That's, to. You you're know, exactly
1: I, right. That's a cool science, actually, about what goes into why you would adopt a pseudonym. So yeah. it's for a certain market. It's for your own self-protection. It's because you're too prolific. All the things you just said. Exactly. Right. Yeah.
0: If I wrote a cozy romance mystery under Steven Schneider, it may not sell as well as if I wrote it under Rose Dimple
1: <laughs> you know, or something there, like there that. There you go. Know, exactly. And it's funny. Nowadays, it seems to come out. Uh, maybe a little, um, ooh, we caught you, kind of a scandalous thing where Stephen King has had, has written books under pseudonyms because he was so prolific, perhaps, or J.K. Rowling has done things like, well, I don't want to only write, um, uh, so rolling, right? It's rolling like bowling. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, J.K. I always, anyway. I <laughs> Okay, it's uh, but like it's, you know, when it, she that's wrote... what we
0: talked about last week. How you yes. hear it and how it's really
1: said. <laughs> exactly, you know. So I guess if it's like, hey, I've done not nothing but written comedies, and now I'm going to write a serious book, but if I put it under under my name, they're going to be thinking. Um, Dave Barry, you know, he's not written a couple of books and they are funny, but they aren't just a collection of his columns or straight up humor like they have been. They're actually a novel. And so I, I did think he really had an opportunity that maybe should have come out in something other than Dave Barry. And there's a certain thing. If you already have a name recognition, you'll get sales because of it. But there's also that you might get a little bit of... Um, consumer backlash Pushback. because yeah. wow I, I wasn't what i expected and I, yeah. I must you must be what i want you to be you know what I mean? we, so. we talk about that with the author stuff
0: all the time you know yes, if you yes. are writing fantasy and you want to write sci-fi or a romance or something that maybe you should do a pen name even if you let people know hey these are both me but people yeah. will go to the bookstore they'll see the name they'll buy it regardless of but they want to make sure they're not getting the wrong genre, the wrong style.
1: Exactly. So, because you do inter- in, uh, interview so many authors, and, and you talk about, can you think of anybody offhand like that's a good example of that? You know, that has worked in multiple genres, and they really contemplated: Am I going to keep my name? Change my name? Am I going to go with initials? I know initials is a standard thing for like not to be weird. A lady fi- hiding the fact that they're female, because if they're going to write in the hard science fiction realm. They kind of can't like, let on, you know what I mean? It's so sad that, that has to happen, something like that. Exactly, or or um, Jemison, right? That that you know, yeah. I I think that now now it's she is um on TV being interviewed, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. You know who she is, but when those first came out, there was ambiguity, and I wonder if she did that to have it work in her favor, if you will. Right. You know, well, I, mean? I shouldn't I shouldn't attribute thoughts to her, but I know it, others have, other authors have. Right,
0: you know? I, I have it. I can't think of a off the top of my head uh, that I've interviewed that they uh, have multiple pen names. I do know an author. Uh, she's from America, but lives in Costa Rica. Uh, she mm-hmm. writes, she won't tell even the rest of us what her super secret pen name is because it's erotic type fiction under a very specific genre. And she's like, I just don't want to be associated with that. When I go to conferences go. and stuff like yeah. that. And she's working on writing some sci-fi now under her real name. So they're completely separated. And I know, um, Joanna Penn, um, who is a big in the indie world, uh, does a podcast for 12 years now. Um, right. but she writes under JF Penn and Joanna Penn, JF Penn's the fiction thrillers and Joanna Penn's the author nonfiction. Um, And
1: that makes sense that it's actually linked enough that if you wanted to, you could, you know, either differentiate them or group them together. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: I know there's another, but the weird thing is there's another author, Lindsay Broker. She's an outlier because she writes fantasy. She writes fantasy steampunk. She writes sci-fi. She does it all under one name. And she's been successful. Whereas 99% of the people that try and do that, they, they they get people going, where's the fantasy? I don't like this. And they lose their audience. So somehow she's been able to do Got that. It.
1: Yeah. And especially with the first example that you named, I could see how when you're not only in a different genre, but you're in one that ooh, some people might not approve of, that you would hide the fact that you wrote you know the, the erotic or the... Um, I, I don't know people who write children's books yeah they might not want to be seen as that's all that they can write and so they might right. have a different pseudonym for their winnie the pooh versus their uh you know adult fantasy if you will right. so and jk rowling okay. uh didn't she write under what is it richard
0: galbraith or roger galbraith or that, something sun- like that, that sounds right i think fantasy. so yeah yeah but she also mm-hmm. wrote some adult books under jk rowling so yeah. i i'd love to hear how that i not that it matters she's she oh that didn't sell well i'm still a billionaire who cares
1: You know so. exactly that you know me and the queen are one two at this point yeah. you know that kind of right. thing so and actually it's kind of funny i think that sometimes people i don't know that like when they write under a pen name do they really change their writing style enough or just the subject that they're writing about because i think i've read richard bachman books and i was like this sir seems a lot like stephen king <laughs> <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean there's there, there's a a rhythm, a vocabulary, a style of writing. And, and, and this is kind of funny, you know, uh, I remember back in Marvel Comics in the 70s, Adam Austin showed up as a, uh artist name. And I'm like, that sure, sure looks a lot like Gene Colin. You know, like a writer might be able to, uh, hide, change their style. But there's very few artists that I know that have actually dramatically transformed their style where the new name really might be associated with a new way of drawing. Like right. Bill Sienkiewicz used to be much more like Neil Adams and it became his own kind of more scratchy look and stuff like that. But Adam Austin was obviously Gene Colon and, and eventually they... I don't know what what it was that went into that. Maybe he was under contract or somebody else and had to be sneaky about it or whatever else it might be. (laughs) The
0: story I've heard with uh, Richard Bachman when King did it Mm -hmm. uh, was twofold. Number one, at the time with traditionally published stuff, they didn't want him coming out with more than one book a year type thing. So he was limited by the publisher on purpose. that's not that way now but but he also was interested to see if he could write something if it would be good or if it was just his name um and i think he found out that uh they they weren't didn't sell as well until people found out it was really him. And
1: then then they returned to exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I I guess I would be curious about that too. If you have a certain amount of success, 10 books in and everybody's buying your next one, just because they're already well-known, you kind of have that, Hmm. you know, how much am I riding on my own net reputations coattails or could I produce something of such quality that would catch on like the first ones did and stuff like that. And,
0: And I know King's, you know, the example, him and Patterson and just a, Few others are yeah. at that level, Rowling. And honestly, I I do don't, don't believe King would try and do something. Just say, "Well, I'm going to make myself even more rich. I want more money." You know, honestly,
1: right. he's, he was trying to flood the market. He just he has to write. You know, writers yeah. have to write. You know, yeah, <laughs> so.
0: and I think. He's one of those guys that he would be much more happy if you invite him to your house for a hot dog roast and a beer than you would to a fancy restaurant and posh, whatever. Yeah, he just exactly. thinks he's, I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't have a nice house. I mean, I know he has like an indoor swimming pool and right, stuff, right. but, you know, I think deep down he's still
1: that aw shucks kind
0: of guy. Which exactly. is that why he's, he can write he, that one.
1: He's decent rich. He only has like three Ferraris instead of ten. Exactly. That would be too much. You actually know?
0: <laughs> Actually I think it's more um um bikes. I think he had some bikes. Okay. Like some really that's nice fun. classic Harleys and stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you guitars. Know, that's when when you get to that level of like it's as if you won the lottery and you don't have to worry about it anymore, it's kind of fun to see the way that that plays out for people. That for some people like Jay Leno was cars, I guess his is yeah. bikes. It's very. Or some people want that that beautiful mansion. You know, I don't know. It's kind. Of, I've. <laughs> I've never been rich, but when I was making okay money, my I used to get kind of chided by my family of like, when are you going to like go legit and get a bigger house and a nicer car? It's like, well, I'm too busy buying comic books and puzzles and stuff. You know what I mean? My right. joy was in those things. And I didn't live in a shack. I lived in an okay house. But I, for, you know, like me before I got married, why do I need 12 rooms instead of eight? Right. You know what I mean for what well, I'm going to stop to have a lot of dogs, so I have one dog for each room. I just I didn't have that weird like American white picket fence acquisitiveness of upgrading those things. I I kind of had things set up like I liked. What did I need enough holes to put bookshelves up on? You know yeah. what I mean.
0: And, and that's interesting. <laughs> so because I mean we've talked about the investing and stuff at times. Sure. Um, I think definitely there are people with different thoughts. I know there are people that if I won the lottery, the uh, big one, 30 million, something like that, right. that they, they go crazy. They'd buy the big estate. They would buy uh, all these cars and stuff. And Jean and I have talked about it and I thought about it. And I know people say, Oh, you don't know until you actually have it. And I'm like, honestly, right. at this point in my life, I really know me a bit better. I wouldn't enjoy spending, you know, 500,000 on four different cars. I I just really enjoy that. I I, honestly, I'd like to get a really nice BMW uh, and not have to worry about the repairs.
1: (laughs) You know, I hear you. That's it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's kind of funny. You know, everybody has their fun lottery discussions whenever the lottery hits 300 million. Seems that everybody has that. What would you do if you got it? And, you know, I don't know. My family has a thing where, we did this when we we're very young. Maybe now we quotes don't need to do it, but we kind of had a thing: if somebody wins, we all win, right? We'll split it. Right. And I would want to do that if I won. My my brothers and my parents each get a share, and and now they have, you know, wives and kids and stuff like that. So I it's it, I don't think I've had to expand it to be now. There's eleven people that get a share or something like that. But it would never occur to me. To keep it to myself like right. is my life going to be substantially different because i have 20 million dollars instead of seven million and my brothers each get seven it, it would just be such a joy to be like i never need to worry you know because to me that's what money means in a lot of ways it's not right. possessions even though from my full house you might not know that but it's always been about like um choices and security and so I'd want them to have that too. I, I, I love my family and I would it would be just so fun. Like, isn't this cool that, that you know, we hit. <laughs> I, what, <laughs> you know? what I would love to do is for my
0: closest friends and family, you know, obviously mm-hmm. the kids and stuff, help them get started setting up like a business. Not just here, mm-hmm. have some money, but like Colin, you know, he'd like to have maybe a comic book store. He, maybe do grading uh, of the comic books. Um, you know, help set up a good place for the store to get started and, you know, then, then you can run it or, you know, the girls with their art, uh, or Jason with his lawn mowing, (laughs) (laughs) just help them get a business going of their own.
1: Exactly, and that—I mean—that makes such—that's really good sense because it really is. You know, give a man a fish, teach a man to fish. You know, that whole thing. What you want to do is set it up so that they never have to worry, as opposed to they don't have to worry for two years while they blow through it, and then yes. they're kind of back to square yeah. one. You know what Absolutely. I mean? So, and I, I have that desire, I guess, too. What do I want to give my nieces and nephews? Like, get, go go to college. You know what I mean? Set set things up so that their life will be better, and so. The time has changed. They've moved away from those kinds of things. But for a while, that's like how I thought, you know, Uncle Al would kind of, almost like anonymously, you know what I mean? When they started yeah. to go, if there was any yeah. kind of weirdness about financial stuff, because there's also a certain amount of not wanting to insult Anybody yeah. in the family, your brothers, you know, it isn't that I'll do this instead of you because you can't, but it's more like if it's going to strain you I'll let me, you know, I, let me carry part of your burden. I totally think there's agree. a really beautiful, like African expression for that. You know what I mean? That the way you say it in a certain language isn't, can I help you? It's, can I carry part of that with you? And that's kind of how I think that's of it. nice. The difference yeah. between a help and assist where you're not doing it for them, you're doing it with them. Do you know what well, I mean? So <laughs> and honestly,
0: you know, that'd probably be my agreement is, hey. I know to set up a comic book store, you've got to get inventory, you've got to get the building, you've got to whatever. So it's a hundred thousand or 200,000 to really get it going. It's going to take six months or whatever it is, but I'm your partner. So I got you set up, I got you running, but I want something each month. And that's your residual income instead of putting it all in
1: investments. I guess so. And, and in fact, that, you know, that little bit of obligation that they know we're in this together. So right. they really can't just kind of, you know, piss around. They really have to say, okay, how am I going to make this legitimate? You know? And, yeah. and it's not it's like the mafia thing of, well, now you owe me and the interest is going up all the time. <laughs> right. you know right. what I mean? I, Do I need yeah, to send it, Rocco and Tony to visit you? You know, that kind of thing.
0: <laughs> could, I could very easily take 10 million and put it in investments and just say, right. send me, you know, a hundred thousand every year. And I can live off that, you know, or I yeah. can find other businesses that uh, are looking for investors. But you know, I'd rather do it family-wise. The thing that always exactly. concerned me the most, and I think this is because we've talked about levels of the autism, and more and more, I think if I got tested, I'd probably be closer to autistic than not. The more more I learn um, about that, um, but because of that. Um, I would always be uncomfortable around people because okay well I've got uh, you know a million dollars sitting in the bank right now I can pull out. So if we go mm-hmm. out to dinner is everyone looking at me expecting me to pay every single time? Oh, Are they inviting really- me because they expect me to pay for them? <laughs> you know, that's the yeah. uh, that's the geek introvert paranoid I guess you could say.
1: That's very, actually, I had a friend way, way long ago when I first started to be an independent consultant that absolutely had that paranoia that every date was kind of framed by, maybe spoiled by, are they a gold digger? Are they in it for the money? Every business dealing they had, they were always concerned about someone trying to rook them. And it's like, I'm one of the good guys. I swear all I want to do is let's work on something together. We'll have a nice (laughs) divvy. we'll put it in a contract. So there's no ambiguity. And, and I just, to see how that was affecting his life in ways that he had to be kind of on top of every deal. It was like, wow, you even, even a a good guy, an honorable guy, you kind of have no room for that in your life. And that's going to cost you. That's going to be a really tough way to get through life, you know? And I
0: I know that uh, with him. I mean, I had that problem when I was younger dating uh, and then after I made the really wrong choice. And then all the crap I went through, it really was like, I, 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 it's hard for me to read people. Uh, it's hard for me to know if they are genuine or not. Um, and Gina's Mm -hmm. much better at that than I am. Uh, so it was hard. And even in high school and we've run into a couple people and Gina's like, well, how come you never dated her? I'm like, uh, really? You know, I'm like, yeah. Uh, it's like I can't even think about it. You know, but then I right. found out from a few people, it's like, well, yeah, so and so thought you were cute or whatever. I'm like, really?
1: Huh? I, I <laughs> yeah, realize. never picked up on it. <laughs> it's, you know, so I guess that's something that we share. Khalid has commented on that for me. Like, you didn't know that a lot of people are interested in. It It's like, no. I was like, just kind of like too busy being me. I didn't, right? I didn't, I know I'm not always scanning the room to say who are my prospects. It was more like, I want to be friends with them and I want them to, I don't know, laugh at my jokes, play a game with me, spend time with me. But it right. wasn't always, I wasn't always on the prowl. You know what I mean? And, and I know people at the other end of the spectrum where they walk into a room and they quickly scan and say, these are the two ladies that I'm going to go after right. or guys, your ladies do it too. And and so I guess I, I I shouldn't say I'm immune to that. I definitely have like physical choices or the sound of a voice or the way people have a, a way they carry themselves. And that's it's kind of funny. I love how our, our uh, we always digress all over the place. Some of the ways in which I've always tried to describe what I'm attracted to is it isn't necessarily body parts. It's like so are they up for it you know if i wanted to go on a hike could they go if we had to move a couch could they grab the other end of the couch could they be in both a ball gown and in scrubs and i kind of like that where they're a boon companion and that we're gonna have good times together and 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 it is i find um uh shapely womanly more attractive than girly you know what i mean and i think i kind of like cute more than beautiful because there's a there's a funness to it as opposed to a, an unapproachability to it and, Absolutely. and I, I could talk about this for a long time without really knowing if I'm telling the truth you know what i mean i like do i like uh, girls who look just like my mom or just the opposite of my mom do i like someone who looks like a movie star or do i like you know the the girl that's going to work on the tractor with me i have omnivorous enough taste that i am attracted to a whole bunch of different kinds of things <laughs> yes. i guess and so it's not that i have he's got a thing about Uh, uh, you know, redheads or something like that. Maybe when I was young, I did. I thought that redhead was very pretty, but then it wasn't the only thing. There's all kinds of beauty in the world. There's all kinds of beautiful. (laughs) I've tried to.
0: (laughs) Gina's an ENFP. I'm an INTJ. So we have a lot of opposite thinking on things. Right, right. Uh, And I've tried to get her to understand that if, like, if a waitress comes to our table. And she's like, oh, she was cute. Were you checking her out? And I'm like, oh, um, I didn't even realize. Yeah, I wasn't even girl? thinking that.
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> and um, what I've tried to get her to understand is the looks part of it, you know, forget about the terms of beauty or anything like that, but the looks part of it are enhanced by the rest of the package that you could have the most beautiful woman ever, hot, whatever. The, the pheromones are just dragging everybody in.
1: But exactly. if she's a
0: bitch and I just couldn't stand her, she's not beautiful to me at all. And I wouldn't even feel like being romantic with her. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. But if there's somebody that you would say, yeah, they're okay, but they have a great board game and we have a conversation where we're <laughs> laughing, that person is to me, looks way more beautiful on the exterior because of the everything that goes with it. And she has a hard time grasping that concept from me, uh, you know, because if, if someone walks by, she'll go, oh, I saw you look at her. I'm like, well, yeah, because I almost ran into her, you know, right, or right. yeah, yeah, she was, you know, she was pretty, but I looked at her. She was pretty. It's like going to the museum, you know, I, I see. Exactly. All these... it was a
1: pretty painting. That was a yeah. nice tree. That was, a... <laughs>
0: yeah, it was beautiful. I love going to the museum and just looking at all the great art but I hang up Star Wars in my house.
1: (laughs) That's very funny. Exactly.
0: (laughs) I have had. I was was just going to say, but she doesn't uh, quite understand that sometimes.
1: Yeah. In fact, this is kind of funny. Colleen will often talk about in conversations with her other friends, you know, I'll go away for like a pinball weekend. You know, I've gone to Pittsburgh for three or four days and played pinball. And they will say, you know, are you, are you okay with that? Like, you know, he's, he's going to be gone for it. And it's like, well, yeah, he, he really likes to play pinball i don't think he's going there to the horror convention It's,
0: not an you know I mean? it's, <laughs> it's
1: and it, it is yes um kind of how i oh boy I, I always wanted i wasn't great when i was young you know when you when you, i when i was young and full of hormones and didn't know about love and about the pain of not doing right by love and stuff like that i i really wasn't great i I made my mistakes. I hurt other people. But boy, when you do that and you see the pain, you never want to do it again. And when you've had it done to you, you never want to experience that again. You don't want to have anybody else experience it. So I have, I've really tried to be like, not only faithful because it's, you know, I don't know the right thing to do, but it is, it, it is that I I don't want anybody, all the time that people waste worrying in that way about, you know, did you look at somebody else? Are you going out of town and are you doing something? I want it to just be a non-issue and that we can then deal with the real issues of, so how are we doing about our lives together? Are we spending the right amount of time? Are we spending money the way that we want to? It's like to take that, um, I don't know, romantic sexual entanglement weirdness out has got to be a breath of fresh air for someone who might've had that in their past. And then eventually they'll catch on. No, he's really okay. And he really loves me. And there's just not going to be that forever. You know, you worked late. Where were you? Well, I, I was working late. I, I <laughs> exactly. you, could have, you called me, you called me and I picked up right, you know, and, and this is, I have had someone in my life that was weird like that, that she had gotten hurt by having like her best friend and her boyfriend fool around on her. And then forever after, what does that do to your sense yeah. of security? You know, and, and so I was often then you know talked about, accused of those kinds of things. It's like, I, I swear, I I can't act any differently than I already am. I'm not doing anything wrong. Right. I'm I'm going out of my way to never give you a moment's doubt and hesitation. And it's not only in a an intellectual way, it's that that's not me. I try so much not to be like that because now I'm a grown man and a grown man takes his love seriously he takes his he he's right. he knows what's precious and stuff
0: like and, that. and I, you know I mean? like <laughs> from, from gina she's had that same thing she's had that okay. before too so yeah. uh, you know not that she doesn't trust me but it, it kind of always creeps up on the back of her mind okay. but on the flip side uh because of me the way i am i've had a couple relationships in the past that totally took advantage of me and it's stupid stuff now you know there's a girl in yeah. high school on the dance squad that uh Started like flirting with me and stuff, and I picked up on it. Lucky me, uh, and we were <laughs> seeing each other for a while, but it turned out she just wanted to uh, be able to go to prom, uh, before her junior or senior year. So, as okay. minute prom was over, bam, she was gone.
1: <laughs> wow. So- and and it's, it's kind of funny when you realize that, and you get like, wow, I, I really didn't see it coming. I really, you know, <laughs> right. it's, it's that easy to be fooled. You know what I mean? Right. When you're loaded with hormones, when you're young and you're like, well, right. getting attention from anybody is magic. And especially, wow, pretty popular. You know, <laughs> right. she seems to be nice to me. You know what I mean? It's, it's, that's, that's why young love is just so. I I have any number of explanations for things I did up until I was like 25. I was like, we were so young. You know, you just don't have enough life under your belt. You don't have enough experience of other people. There are charlatans everywhere, not only in (laughs) politics, religion, in relationships. You know what I mean? They have other agendas than yours at
0: heart. (laughs) And, and, you know, tying this into the earlier black and white conversation, like you said, uh, if I am with you and I made the decision to get married, That's black and white. It's not great in there now, you know. And I think in that case, being like this
1: is a benefit. (laughs) It's a pro. (laughs) I I think so. Exactly. You know, it's it. um, So. Hmm. I'm trying to think of what I, I wanted to track back to. So, uh, I, I, it, always we have wonderful digressions as you know, Colleen and I have had real good luck recently with like hitting the Hidden Gems section of Netflix or the documentary because like for instance there's one on Dalton Trumbo and this goes back to why would people have pseudonyms? Why why are there, well, there really was a blacklist as you know, back in the 50s and early 60s and if you were at all accused of being a communist or if you really were a communist, Hollywood would have nothing to do with you even if you were like an amazingly talented scriptwriter. So we watch Mank, which was an Oscar nominee this year, about Mankovich, who worked with Orson Welles on Citizen Kane and Dalton Trumbo. And it really is one of those things like life circumstances can be so weird once in a while. I mean, you are a screenwriter. That's what you chose to do. You're really good at it. The world acknowledges you're really good at it. And then someone kind of blunders into your world and says, yeah, but you don't think right. And we're going to, we're going to cut you off. He was very successful in terms of getting him and a whole bunch of other people to be able to ghostwrite All kinds of things. And not at first just make a living at like a B movie studio where the guy was like, I like your stuff. I don't care what Washington says, but then, eventually there's bold enough uh producers that will say well you know get me that script and we don't have to put your name on it it'll be alan smithy or whatever the standard you know uh, (laughs) fake pseudonym is but then when it wins an oscar you're like well are we gonna let on are we gonna you know hey all of hollywood you've been fooled spartacus was really written by dalton trumbo you know what i mean that kind of thing so it's it, it, that was I guess I really I can't recommend that movie enough it's Brian Cranston who as you know did breaking bad and various other oh, things yeah. and yeah he's he's really good in that role and uh it I uh sweeping statement there's I learned so much history up until like 1945 and then all the history classes kind of stop and and so I've had to fill in from reading Mad magazine about what happened in the 40s and 50s <laughs> from watching mash to learn about the Korean War right, what a right. terrible way to put it but you know, I uh, I have gaps that I've tried to fill in and part of what you want to do with the documentary is let's watch the quiz show thing to learn about the quiz show scandal. Let's you know there's a compressed two hours of here's hopefully the main points not to. Warped by having to make it entertaining. Let's learn about the blacklist. Let's learn about, you know, uh, the Chicago seven. And we really have been seeking those things out that it's not only about entertainment. I kind of really know what was going on with the Vietnam war, with the protests in Chicago, with uh, the, the, you know, the big short and what happened with all of the housing scandal. It's kind of cool to get all that information in a way that it's also entertaining, so that you don't mind learning, you know, that kind of thing. We really have been seeking out more and more of those, maybe peppering them in between things. You know, I sit down and I watch my Jupiter's Legacy superhero thing, but then to kind of get grounded in reality, let's watch Silkwood. You know, there really was a terrible scandal. We just, we just radium girls, where... Um, screaming from today's headlines, the girls who used to paint the watch faces that had radium so they would glow in the dark, Right. well, you keep on licking that paintbrush and you ingest radium, and funny how that'll kill you dead. You know, you become radioactive. It settles in your bones and stuff like that. And not only did it happen, but how much resistance there was on the part of the American Radium Company and the doctors and lawyers and other people they had in their pocket to keep saying, nope, there's nothing going on here, despite four people now having died of radiation poisoning and stuff like that. And again, a nice thing that I like to not only see filled in, but like, man, haven't we learned, you know, radium girls was, you know, how long ago, and yet we still have today the denialism about, you name it, about smoking, about, you know, anyway, people are people. And there's so much money to be made in some cases that it really makes it that they, they can't, go to the truth they right. won't let themselves because they see it's not only about them it's about oh my family will go unfed or whatever they do in their mind to say it's a matter of like survival as opposed to uh oh. it's a wrong thing and i should write it or something like that
0: right. so <laughs> you mentioned learning uh history through various things mm-hmm. um gosh it's I blanking on the writer but the the uh, book guns of the south um okay you said Trumbo, so now that's stuck in my head because it starts with a T. But Guns of the South is where I learned more about the Civil War than I did from school.
1: Interesting. And is it is it a biography? Or,
0: no, Because you know, Shelby um, Foote
1: is... Oh, Harry it's, Turtledove. It's, Harry um, Turtledove. Turtledove. I was just getting to it. He wrote Alternative Histories... Right? Yes, that, that's what that it talked is. talked about what it could have been differently if this guy didn't get assassinated. Yes. If this battle went differently, yes, they're great. They really they, are. They, yeah,
0: yeah. They they have just a smidgen of time travel in there, but they don't delve into it. And these people right. from our future bring uh, machine guns to the Civil War, so the South yes. wins. But the exploration in the book of people's thoughts, opinions, and what the war was about, what people think the war is about, and what they exactly. were Exactly. The doing. culture behind
1: all of it. Yes. Yes.
0: And even Lee, his thoughts and how they weren't uh, you know, in a line necessarily. He was just doing his duty. Uh and how right. I think I think it was Lee that they essentially took over his house and turned it into um a medic and that turned it into Arlington Cemetery. Uh and I was like, oh, okay. I never knew that. You know, so it's just some of... And I know people say, well, it's fiction. But the fiction part is the machine guns. <laughs> Most of the rest of it, he, you know, looked into it and put real history stuff in there. You have to, to do it authentic. that yeah. to make a really good alternative history book. You can't just yeah. make everything
1: up. So, that's yeah, a, a I, I got game has a Yeah, I really liked, liked those. In fact, I think that's one of those where there's a lot of them, and I think I might have gotten like four in out of six, and then for whatever reason, I diverged, and I never have read whatever the last few in that series. I never finished the series, and they got boxed up, and now they're in the the vaults. When it's like, when I find them again, they'll be like, oh, I've been been thinking about you. I've been waiting to get the chance to return to you, you know? Um... Neil Gaiman has a great quote along the lines of, stories are a lie that tells you the truth again and again. And that's, right. you know, we've talked about this before, that it fantasy or just fiction in general, it isn't, well, people have a a prejudice towards nonfiction because they want to get facts only and I'll make my decisions. It's like, well, facts aren't only things and numbers, it's humans. It's how people operate, what they think while they're doing it. And being able to get to empathy, being able to understand what happened and why it happened, what people were thinking and feeling while they were doing it. Of course, that's not a nonfiction work. You you can't put on the brain cap and and look peer into people's thoughts. But fiction authors can often get to that in a very plausible way. It doesn't have to actually be true, but it can put it into your head that you're trying to say, well, why did they act like that? What was going on there? And it just gives you more of humanity i guess you know you're not only your own set of things that are in your head you get to put on various different hats different personae. a little bit we've talked about when we play our role-playing games you know what i mean if i'm going to be a thug in this one versus a magic user in this one you kind of change your mind you know what i mean you put on a different way of thinking about the world so
0: (laughs) and a a couple other really good ones along those lines like you were saying with the facts michael crichton wrote two really good ones um I think Airbus or Airframe, something like that, where it's okay. about the aviation industry and mm-hmm. uh, the the um, sub the seedier underbelly of the politics and uh, companies and stuff. And the other one was State of Fear, which was about climate change. But I mean, this is almost twenty years ago, and right. and I know it's fiction, and I know nobody has like created a tidal wave to wipe out a. Uh, island just to get their, their donors <laughs> to donate money. I hope right. not, but just the, the things that makes you think uh, one of the scenes in there is the character is talking to these lawyers about data that they've received about the temperature and this, and they ask him questions. He's like, Oh yeah, well this, they're like, okay, but here's the actual Data and here's the facts. He's like, oh, well, that's totally different than what I thought. And they're like, yeah. and it, but but look at it this way. Here's the same data. Oh, but that's a different number. Exactly, it's manipulated to get the result you want. And that made me question a lot of things uh, after reading that book.
1: Yes. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, so I, we, we talked about, hey, what, you know, every week we get to only a certain number of things that we might talk about. <laughs> I've been really enjoying a whole bunch of John Sanford books, both the Lucas Davenport series and the Virtual Flower series. And the, um, I'm up to, um, about to be current with Lucas Davenport, Masked Prey is about, um, uh, on a website appears a series of uh, photos of like senators kids coming out of school being at the supermarket whatever else it might be and there's kind of that weird implied threat of why would somebody be taking these pictures you know who's going to use this that now that we know that the kids are at this school oh no they might be kidnapped well the whole book is screaming from today's headlines it's really good at he has characters that like he puts them into the mindset of what if you really were um really bigoted racist but you're very american and so you Twist everything into I'm the good guy. I'm the one that's acting like I should be. What if you're only a sensational seeker? You want to get your name in the headlines pretty much no matter what it takes. What would that be like? What if you're the FBI agent that not only is trying to catch the criminals, but you have a personal experience of this in your past, and so there's a little bit of vengeance as well as justice. And I'll tell you, there, he writ, writes very, very well, and they're riveting because, like, wow, this, this really could be as real as real. This is just so much what you wonder if that's what's really going on when people storm the Capitol or, like, you devoted your entire life to this false premise. Well, to me, it wasn't false. To me, it was what I got from my parents and my grandparents and my town and my everything, yes. and it's who I am. I, I'm nothing without this, you know. So, it's uh and 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 so I I like mixing as. Uh, as you know, I read a whole bunch of different stuff. And so once in a while reading very much that crime procedural very much grounds you in reality. But then I read like a book from Benedict Jacka, who is uh, has the Alex Vera series, and it's what's called, what's called urban fantasy. There's a guy who's a, a diviner, a, a, a person who can see into the future. But the plot of the books is often, what are the friends and allies and enemies that he makes? What is, how does he deal with the junior and the senior council of magicians in London? And all the locations are real, but the, under this, a building happens to be also a, a you know sacrificial chamber or whatever else it might be. <laughs> and that interesting combination of, you know, magic doesn't change everything. It makes people be more like who they are, because now they can act on their impulses, if you will, or it, they're just—they're very good with that combination of like really gritty and also there's that little fantasy element. So you can say, okay, here's how they break the rules, but nobody's a genie. They can just wish things to be different. They're I don't know. I find them riveting. They're very well written for that. The actions have consequences, and that as he has done things, it's probably the 12, twelve books in the series now, um, and and um, the uh Kevin O'Hare and Iron Druid books are really good about this too. That when you make a decision like the next book, three books away, it has ramifications. You you broke a promise to somebody and now they don't trust you anymore. And now when you really need their trust, they won't. They withhold that and now you don't have them as an ally anymore. Or that there's unexpected alliances because the enemy my enemy is my friend. And they they go into that. like I really like the fact that it's not the episodic restart of every new book has a new villain and don't worry, nothing that has happened in the past. They might make an occasional, you know, hey, he's driving the same car. But in this case, it really is, you know, if, if you really betray somebody, you made an enemy for life and yeah. that will have an impact on you over the course of your life. So I, I just in some ways, you know, my life is pretty bland I haven't necessarily made like a life-or-death enemy, but everybody has those things where we were friends and then we had a falling out, or some of the we weren't really friends, then we found a way to ally, and now we're better friends than I ever thought we really would be. And whatever else it might be about romance, like we talked about earlier, or just about the day-to-day associations, work, office allies, or enemies, competitors, it doesn't have to be enemies, it's just if there's only one CEO job, you know what I mean? People are going to do what they need to to keep right. moving up. And sometimes it has to be, there can be only one. So <laughs> not quite the losing right. of the head, but it is, right. you know, figuratively, well, figuratively instead of literally. Yeah, yeah so, exactly.
0: So what's the uh, Virgil Flowers <laughs> one you're reading right now?
1: So I, I just finished it. And it was, um, uh, let me think, um, uh, Genius, um, Frozen Genius, something like that. It, it's got, um, it is, that uh, your it's academia that have disagreements over the right way to have um, cultural um, elements, cultural sciences programs, and getting more towards diversity and inclusion, but that even there, you know, it, I, hmm, it is not often. Uh, colors that go to war, it's shades. They really believe in many of the same big things, but they have very different opinions on certain nuances of them. And they let that drive a wedge between them so that there really are like such competition in academia or such disregard for somebody who doesn't think exactly as you do that, oh, it might lead to foulest murder. And and that it's it's very good with how much of it is really that, that you really can start to play with red herrings for they really hate each other, but would they really kill each other? Or would they hire flunkies to do it? Would something um not having anything to do with them happen, but they take advantage of the fact that now that person has been eliminated, that grant will not be granted, whatever else. And so it's it's just a nest of vipers and uh you can't really tell anybody's motivations. One of the things I come across in the Sanford books all the time is people lie. People lie all the freaking time. They lie to cops. They lie to investigators. They lie on the stand. They, you know what I mean? To save themselves, to not go through ego death or financial or physical harm. They, they, and even when you say, well, we got photos of you right here. it's like, that's not me. You know what I mean? It's like, they, it's just that. One of the things as you get as a policeman, as an investigator, he's, like with the, you know, he's a U.S. Marshal, Lucas Davenport is, is that the people are so good at lying that they kind of like fooled themselves. And so all the usual tells that someone might have about, hey, they looked away, they got nervous, they sweated, whatever. No, there, are not only people can summon it, but there really are in this world, stone cold sociopaths who just don't have any care about what you think, if they think that you are less than them, if they think that they dehumanize you to the point of being an animal. So it's as if they were talking to a rock, they couldn't care less what your opinion of them is. And they they go into that a lot that that it's kind of weird, you know, psychopathy and sociopathy are their own kind of weird superpowers, Hmm. because they've put aside so many of the concerns of regular people, they don't care what anybody else thinks of them, they don't care who this hurts, or how much it might cost. They care about what they want, and they pursue it with (laughs) zeal. So,
0: (laughs) And uh, you could uh, put the Punisher kind of in that at times, depending on what era you're reading him.
1: Exactly. I mean, and that's one of the joys of these books and comic books and so forth is they get to play that out, and you get to see that there really is a craziness to that. But then you also say, well, but, you know, like John Wick... Went to war over his dog getting killed. So even though he's able to, you know, spray the room with bullets and kill, but he only killed the bad guy. So that makes it okay. That's always a good excuse nowadays. Yeah. We're like, if you're going to have a killer who goes after killers, well, good for them. Dexter. Right. You know, that-, that, that was a great show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and there's a great movie called Shoot 'Em Up. Have you ever seen it? Uh-huh. It's uh, it's it's kind of like a John Woo movie by that meaning there are more bullets on the screen than i have ever seen in any other movie it's ridiculous the but beautiful the poetic violence of it you know they have a scene where like a guy jumps there's a, a winding staircase that goes up in a building and a guy jumps down the stairwell and is spinning and is just spraying bullets as he goes so that on every single landing every single staircase people are getting killed it's like oh my god you know he not only thought of doing it he made it look real and not terrible he made it look like you're laughing your butt off because it's so balletically done yeah. i i wish i didn't have to say that i don't think violence is funny people getting shot up with a million bullets but it is it's funny when it's like that's too over the top
0: <laughs> it's like uh, um kill bill that was kind of the same thing. It was kind of a tongue-in-cheek nod to spaghetti westerns and old Korean movies. A and, great way to put it. Yeah, and I watched that movie and caught on right away, and I'm like, "My God, this is a masterpiece! I love these." My parents watched it and said, "This is the stupidest movie I've ever seen." They didn't yeah. get it, you know. And I think sometimes <laughs> these people who want to censor everything don't always get what it is. You know, it's sometimes a parody of itself. It's sometimes, you know. Yes.
1: If you don't get that it's being made fun of. It's like yeah. an embrace of you know, yeah. like, Hey, this is really good. We should go see people get killed. No, it's not right. that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't think Tarantino has ever advocated going out with machine guns to kill people or slicing them up with swords or popping their eyeballs out or anything like that. <laughs> you, that that's the thing. You can put that in your fiction. It doesn't mean you're a, a sociopath in real life. I, you know, It's an escape just as much exactly. as Freddy Krueger and... Um, Michael and, you know, all those others.
1: Exactly. In fact, while I'm reading these, sometimes it's like, you know, I I guess if ever I've worried about, you know, am I, am I an oddball, I still get the same, the right revulsion at these kinds of things. Like, you know, I have focus. I have that ability to go into flow and do things that other people can't and kind of tune the world out, but it doesn't include well they were in my way so i killed them you know what i mean that that i don't have anywhere near that i'm i'm actually terribly sensitive in terms of you know i really do i am aware a little bit different to what you said earlier i'm usually quite aware of um our i'm i'm having an impact on someone you know what i mean when i'm one of the things that i really like about presenting in person instead of being on zoom is that you get a whole person's body language and stance and laughter and are they paying attention and all that kind of stuff instead of just the head and i've discovered that i really feel um, much less informed much less interactive with people when i can't kind of see them and get the room rocking a little right. bit get them enjoying themselves laughing where the head actually goes back with laughter and things like that so <laughs> it's um my having a sense of humor was maybe when I was young developed so that I get people to like me you know what I mean in some cases, it was developed because my older brother occasionally would like beat up on me it's like well no matter how hard you hit me you can't stop me from laughing about you know what I mean and and, and that seems so like wow that's it was psychology you know one one oh one silliness and yet I really think there's some part of that that they can't stop you from cracking wise no matter how big the bully is you know what I mean and if anything it's not only about it's like when I could get my older brother to laugh it would be like well that diffused the situation good he wasn't a monster he wasn't all. Of, you know what I, mean? yeah. I whenever we go on tape like this i almost like he was yeah. a yeah. great guy you know what i mean he might not have been the perfect older brother but who is was i my perfect older brother to be my younger brother who is right. so you know when i think about what formed me though your primary caregivers are as you know not only your parents they're your brothers your your teachers your whoever else has a real impact in that way and so I I think for some parts of my life, how I came to think of like, peers came from my brother, because we spent a lot of time together being only two years apart. Um, and yet, then when it wasn't perfect peers, it's like, okay, I need to look elsewhere. And now I now have a best friend too. And that is, you know, he's, is he a, a different, a different kind of brother? Well, there's a different dynamic there, right? You know, it isn't like position in the family. It isn't, uh, it, there's, anyway, that's a whole a whole conversation that we can have yeah. because it's kind of fun that's definitely one of those things that when you think about it at 15 and 35 and 55 boy do you have different ideas yeah. once you get a little life under your belt and you've met more families and you've heard more people's stories about oh that's what was going on then you know what i mean i just was so i was so young you know what i mean it was right. only hey you know what's what's going on like because i'm Put out. I'm perturbed. I'm hurt, but it isn't that. That's what was going on then, really. If you will. Oh well.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, here yeah, slight change of subject. So, my book of the week. I'm reading, uh, The Witcher yes. Book One. That's interesting. I'm started. reading some
1: of the. So, what do you think? Sorry.
0: Um, I need to read more to get a, a good opinion. So yet, but uh, and I don't know if the original writing in Polish uh, is this, but the. The writing itself, and maybe it's just because I've been working with JD too much, uh, seems a little. Uh, I, I I don't know. The story's good. The writing I think could be a little better, and I think a lot of that has to do with translation.
1: Interesting. Okay, it's uh you know we mentioned michael Crichton earlier one of the criticisms i often heard leveled at him was his science was really good compared to other science fiction thriller writers but his characters were kind of wooden and that might be one of those things that he had a little spectrum in him yeah. and that's what he talked about you know why people did things but in a very scientific way instead of an I mean, emotional way i'm not sure about
0: maybe that's why it. <laughs> I, I mean that's why i latched on to him and he became one of my favorite authors because i okay. got it and related to it could be you know yeah. maybe
1: so, so I've, i think i've already mentioned i've been reading you know catching up on my john sanford uh you know in fact the next book in the series is oh my god lucas davenport and virgil flowers team up the first thing they've met each other, there's a shared world here. So, but they're actually going to, and I don't have it yet. It's Ocean Prey, which I think just came out in hardback. So I'm going to wait it out and get it in paperback. But I'm looking forward to that because they each have very strong, interesting personalities. And the books are different because of that, how they pursue an investigation. And we'll see how much of this is cooperative versus competitive versus actually conflictive. You know, that kind of stuff. And anyway.
0: It's the same author, right?
1: Yes. John Sanford, which is funny. It's a pseudonym for John Camp it's like, I didn't know that until probably huh. I read 30 of his books. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was,
0: <laughs> so I'd be interested because you've read a lot of the both series and know the characters. Right. To see if the characters feel distinct when they get together or if they start feeling like one character. Because, uh, I mean, for an author, that's difficult sometimes to get your characters to be different and not be just reflections of yourself. So being two main characters...
1: Yeah, will he be able to? Yeah. But, you know, what, interesting, by the same token, I've read a number of times for authors that it's like, you know, I was about a quarter way into the book where I wasn't writing it, the characters were writing it. Oh, they yeah. were speaking in their voice and they were going through what they would do in this situation. And I think that's fascinating when you've created a character so fully fleshed out that that they're taking you on their adventure with you and you're just the scribe. Yeah. That's very cool, you know? I, <laughs> so. I remember
0: watching Stargate and like <clears throat> like you've said before, very much predicting what Jack was going to do or say. And okay. there were a couple times when I said the lines before he did, <laughs> you know, it, it was That's, a new episode.
1: That is the weirdest ongoing thing. It, whatever I used to just keep in my head I often say it and, and when it comes out Kali will give me the look of like you know did you sneak into the script vault and you know this thing it's like no it's just if you've watched a thousand TV shows if you've read a thousand books after a while you get some of the ideas of what standard language is what should happen at this plot point how they're going to steal themselves what do they say to do that
0: and if it's the char-
1: just, the writers <laughs> for the
0: characters really have that character nailed and they really exactly. speak
1: in his voice characteristic of them exactly yeah. that yeah
0: and the actor in this case you know if the actor can turn any of the sentences into his character if they're that i mean richard dean anderson was so good in that part for the stargate tv show
1: so i also have to tell you this you know um highlights of the week if you will we talked about hey by the way happy Happy anniversary i was just gonna say that it's been a year (laughs) it's been a year and it's very cool i don't think we're running down yet i think we still have more than enough (laughs) that's how big of our is our list (laughs) Right, exactly. I have to share this. So I might have talked about this. First thing I'm going to put, I'm going to put something on camera. What this is, is it's the puzzle a day calendar where, and and I, you know, I don't know how easy I can get this. uh, Let's see see if I can get it. So what it's got is across the top here are the um, months of the year and across this set of 31 are the dates of the, each month. And each day you solve it so that what's left revealed is the appropriate day. So this is yesterday's solve, right? May 18th. And um, the, the, every day you solve it again to move the date down, if you will, and then change the month. Well, I had commented that a couple times I uh, had got where by coincidence at first, like I put the piece so that all he had to do was flip the piece and it went from 18 to 19 and the little gap in the C revealed that. So wow, a one second solve instead of dumping all the things out of the tray and that kind of stuff. I am blessed as you know, by being in Mensa and by being you know, involved in a whole bunch of different stuff to have some incredibly brilliant smarty friends. A guy named Oriel Maxime has done a logic puzzle tournament at Chicago area Mensa's Halloween for I think 20 years running a long time. And He's brilliant. He not only is good at playing games, solving puzzles, but at designing them, which is a whole different way of, you know, how your mind working. And every, every time I do the logic puzzle tournament, it's like, you are the devil, Auriel, because I'm good at puzzles. And so I can usually get like, one done really quick, two and three done with a little bit of effort, four and five got to grind through, but I've never solved all six of them. Some people do. They're really, they're better puzzles than I am. They're really good at the very, and he has, they're not all the same kind of puzzle. There's different kinds of logic to them where it's placing pieces in a tray. It's, um you know, who owns the zebra based on, there's five people in five different houses with five different animals and that kind of stuff. There's numbers like Sudoku type things. So having said that, I talked about this puzzle online because I love the mathematical rigor of you got this tray and you got these pieces and the it's supposed to be that every single day out of the year, 365, maybe it even works for leap year, I'll have to see if February 29th works, um, you can do it. And I that's just how cool is that, yeah. that have some relatively simple pieces, the combinatorics are such that it really works for 365 different solutions, I love that. But then when I said, "Hey, today's was easy," Oriel took it as a challenge and said, "You know, I could make it that it won't ever be that you can flip that over." <laughs> wow! Indeed, designed, but I don't. I haven't um, physically printed. Why do I need a three D printer? Because I want to print out some of the cool puzzles that are now in the public domain, or that Oriel might have designed. He made one where it's he's added the days of the week. You know, obviously Sunday through Saturday, and um, by expanding that and having so seven more. Um, uh, 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 spaces, but having another six piece, six uh, square piece, and doing slightly different pieces so that there's no easy blocks. They're all kind of a little tangle. You know, there's a series of uh, um sorry, pentominoes, and I guess it's hexominoes, you know, fives and sixes, that you, he, and actually, he's, he's also brilliant. And uh, the He and I are both computer geeks, and he will, like, write a little program to say, can you solve this for every single thing? Like, guaranteedly, he wrote a very cool thing for the Mensa Games Collection at our annual gatherings where you could put in... I'd like a relatively social game that has five to six players and it'll take about two hours. And it goes through the massive Mensa games catalog of a thousand games like that and says, you want to play X, Y, Z, because it's exactly those. So getting back to this, I think I'm not sure because he hasn't stated this exactly, but I think he's done enough like rigorous combinatoric checking that he is. His design is such that you really can do it. Same thing. Every single day, date, and month for the entire year. And as you might imagine, when you do um, the year, the perpetual calendar, you probably have noticed that, you know, the the day, date year is not the same as you go to the next year. So for at least the next three years, you not only have those, you have unique solutions because the day of the week will change for the date of the month for at least three years. And it might be that it repeats on leap year, but then it actually, you know what I mean? There's seven days of the week. So I'm not sure what exactly the cycle is for when it doesn't repeat or guaranteedly doesn't repeat, but just how cool is that? It's it just crazy. I kind of out of a, you know, it's like I this so bear with me, because I <laughs> I sometimes um do things where other people are really amazed. You know, when you can do something very quickly or very deeply and and they are like, well, boy, I, I wouldn't even know where to start. How cool that you can do that. I love knowing people that are like that to me, that, you know, it might be that I have a whole bunch of fingers in various different ways of thinking and stuff like that. But when someone can really impress me, it's the coolest thing in the world that they just have that next step. And I have things that Oriel doesn't have. So it's not like, Oh, I worship Oriel, but the fact that he can do something kind of on a whim that is like the next level of complexity, but it's very playful. But, it, and it just, Hats off to my smart friends, you know what I mean? In all the world, there's some, Tom Cortese is one, I think I told you about. He's a guy that can like, he plays piano, but he can do anything musically. He has music in his body, you know what I mean? And he has some of the same things. We like computer things, we like um Anyway, you know Hector Olson, who I just—I was talking about. You know, we're getting electric work done on the house, and he's the guy that says, "Oh yeah, I did all that like myself," because he really has this incredible feel for materials and how things work in a house. And just my hats off to like that's just so impressive and cool, you know. So, (laughs) so. Often when we talk, I have that for you—that your the way your mind works, the way it <laughs> around, and, and the depth that you have, and the incredible memory—it's very cool to have someone that surprises me. Because I've also you've heard my kind of you know my misogynistic, sorry, misanthropic statement of the world's full of statues. For most right. people, it kind of going kind to of happen, and, and so it's really cool to have someone that is ahead of me, surprises me, you know, engages me. It's it's a gem. So thank you, my year well, anniversary cool, partner. <laughs> so. And
0: uh you mentioned three D printers again. We really should talk one day about that because I have a friend that i was discussing it with and he gave just unloaded all sorts of information to that i did not know and understand and so we should have a a 3d printer discussion maybe next week or week after or something
1: Um, i've already done a whole bunch of research and that's one of those things that you know on my list of disposable income items they're about two thousand bucks if you want to get a really good one with the ability to change your materials and that kind of stuff and yet i so much i've always had puzzles in me i've always had the desire to have I know not only little action figures and sculptures, but there's something very cool about being able to create something 3D yeah, out absolutely. of a little mathematical abstraction plan. And so yes, I
0: <laughs> And, and <laughs> but, your your other comment, uh if there's anything I've done to, to make you laugh, challenge you or whatever, it's because you push me. And that I love <laughs> that. I mean I, I so you know look forward to that because uh You know, I don't get that sometimes enough and I'm not down on anybody, but sometimes, you know, just like if you like to run, sometimes you just got to go out and run. And sometimes if you like to push your mental brain, sometimes you got to push it. You just got to do that. Exactly.
1: That's, um, I, I luckily am happy. You know, Colleen is very much like that, too. Every day when we have a conversation, we we surprise each other, even as compatible as we are and stuff like that. And so it's nice that I never have to put the governors on. She's every bit as smart <laughs> me and is every step of the way with me and all that kind of stuff. And, and those, those people are precious that you really have that simpatico nature with. Yeah. And that's not only a matter of are they capable of it, it's that they have the open mindedness enough of, wow, we went to a place that I would never have gone to, and I don't like that place. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's, and I I don't know, I don't think that either one of us is so odd that we would like, well, it was good until I heard about them killing animals yeah, or something. You know what I mean? It's, there's right, nothing right. weird like that in us, as far as I know. <laughs> no, so, not yet. Uh, <laughs> not yet.
0: <laughs> and, and, and to, 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 to finish it off, sign off here, uh, I discovered this week that the Netflix Marvel shows, the Daredevil, and that I didn't watch most of those. I was going through I never finished season one of Jessica Jones. I never watched season two. Oh, man, season
1: one is really good. Better than two,
0: by far. And I didn't watch season two of Daredevil. I didn't watch Punisher at all. I was thinking in my mind that I had watched almost all of it except the last couple. I discovered I haven't. So in a way, I'm discovering those now. I've been watching... A little bit here and there.
1: So good for you. Similar to what I mentioned, I got Disney, I got HBO, and I had so much <laughs> right. to catch up on all the Doom Patrol, all the kind of stuff. Good for you. What a what a feast you have ahead of you. What yeah, a and,
0: and a Jessica cool. Jones was really good. David Tennant, he's fantastic.
1: Absolutely, as Kilgrave, man. You know, for him going to the, from the benevolent Doctor Who to the not quite benevolent <laughs> yeah. Kilgrave. Oh I, man, <laughs> I will say,
0: and this is a spoiler. So if anybody hasn't watched it, the yeah. ending where she kills him and how she does, I thought, because it wasn't a huge battle. It wasn't this two episode long thing where they were in conflict. It really right. was all leading up to like a three minute thing. Almost. She fooled him. She said what she had to said and bam, that was it. And I like that at times.
1: Very effective. I agree. Yeah. Very good. Not the big battle on a bridge you know what i mean yeah, it,
0: wasn't, it wasn't for ragnarok with led zeppelin oh, playing exactly. <laughs> which is good It, you know end game end game had to be big and epic operatic it have,
1: in its violence yeah, exactly it had to be that way
0: so i like that they did that and yeah i'm enjoying the shows a uh, whole very lot cool. i liked them back then but i thought i watched more of them
1: <laughs> very good okay so, all right man. all right as always have a great set we'll see you next week yep. See okay you. I- You have been listening
0: to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on geek topics of the week.